This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Yeah, y'all did a good job. All right. <laughs> Thought maybe somebody walked up behind me. Well, as you look around, you see the beautiful decorations. It is December. Even though we started hearing about Christmas on October 29th, people get excited about Christmas. We want Christmas to get here. And no sooner is the Halloween candy eaten, no sooner have people bought their frozen turkeys, we're already getting excited. We're already anticipating. And it seems to get earlier and earlier every year. You wonder, why is that? Why is that? Well, it seems to me anyway, that with the world being such a mess, and frankly, it's been a mess ever since the Garden of Eden, We're longing for something. We want something to anticipate. We have our hopes, as Aaron said in the reflection time. We have hope. And we all have yearnings and longings and anticipations. And the reason why is because God made us that way. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 again says, God has put eternity in our hearts. What does that mean? It means that there is an empty place that needs filling. It means that we are yearning, the human spirit yearns, the human heart yearns for for good, for for celebration. What it really means is our heart yearns for God. We yearn for God. And yet we try to fill that anticipation, we try to meet that yearning with so many things in the world. We have such a longing, such a desire. You could even call it homesickness for heaven. And we think that new job is going to fulfill that. And sometimes it does for a little while. We think that new car, that bigger house will fill it. And it does for a little while. And so this time of year, as we move to Christmas, this is the great and grand celebration. As we are celebrating the birth of our Savior. And we enjoy all the trappings and trimmings of the season. And I think that's great. I love it. I myself love gaudy decorations, okay? I like colorful lights, everything blinking, all right? I like all kinds of... The gaudier, the better. I think our team has done a great job. They have. We went someplace last night. We had our staff meeting last night. And Susan came home and said, our decorations are too gaudy. I said, No! Get some gaudy stuff up there. Where's the Santa that when you press the button sings rocking around the Christmas tree? (laughs) Get that out. The gaudier the better. Because I love the trappings of the season. I love the decorations, the beautiful decorations here, the decorations in my house, your house. I love to go to tree lightings. I like all that stuff. Why? Because it's exciting. Because we're anticipating. Man, it's Christmas time. You've probably got all your movies lined up that you're going to see. I've already seen Charlie Brown's Christmas. i got to jump on it. The Grinch might be tonight. I don't know. And we're looking forward to seeing family. And we're Christmas shopping. Gee, I hope he likes this. Gee, I hope this fits her. And we're excited about different dishes and recipes we're going to try. We have such anticipation, such expectation. Don't we? And we've been talking about expectations. And we've been looking at them. Because more often than not, our expectations, rather than being 
perfectly fulfilled. And please understand, under the sun, as we saw when we looked at the book of Ecclesiastes three or four weeks ago, we understand that nothing under the sun will fully fulfill our expectations. No matter if we have tremendous wealth with the ability to do whatever we want to do or whether we have a lot of crafty, creative projects, we might have a nice time for a little while, but then it fades. We also look, even sometimes, not only do we get disenchanted with wealth and stuff and actions, but, you know, it's easy to, to, to get disillusioned by God and by Christ himself. Remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after Jesus had risen. They, they were bummed out because Jesus didn't do what they expected him to do. They were upset. They had to learn the reality of who Jesus really was and what he was to do. And then last time we were in the scriptures, we looked at a man who had been crushed by crises. Developments, developments in his life that just took away his wealth, his family, and his health. Talk about having your dreams smashed and your hopes dashed. And in each one of these circumstances, each one of these passages, we learned a new thing about expectation. We learned that we need to start with being disillusioned. We need to be disillusioned with all the stuff around us. We need to be disillusioned with our misunderstanding of who God is and what his plan is and what he wants for us. We need to become disillusioned with our friends and family. We have too high expectations from each other sometimes. We need to be disillusioned with what we expect from church. And we need to start looking at the world in reality and seeking hope where true hope can only be found, and that's in Christ. The biblical understanding of Christ. God's revelation of Christ and who he is. So here we are in December. And Christmas is coming. And we're all anticipating. And we're all excited. Do you know the nation of Israel was anticipating at that first Christmas? They were anticipating their Messiah, the conquering king. They were anticipating him to come charging in on a heavenly white horse. To chase out the oppressive Roman Empire. Because you've got to understand the Jews for, for centuries had been promised a Messiah. As a matter of fact, all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 3. God promised that there would be a, a, a savior. And while the serpent, the devil, would bruise his heel, the, the, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, the savior, would crush his head. And for millennia, the anticipation of Jesus was building and building and the Jews were told by Abraham, one day your seed will bless the whole world. And so the Jews went century after century longing for and anticipating this Messiah. Even that first Christmas, that first chilly night when the shepherds were on the field, the Jewish nation was anticipating. As a matter of fact, if you look at history, other nations had different religious plans and they were anticipating deliverance. Because after all, while religions, they, they taught a different message. They are still human beings and God put on all of our hearts anticipation. And it seemed like if you were a Jewish man or a woman at the time, it seemed like your anticipations, your hopes and dreams had been dashed one time after another. Because the Jews were conquered by, by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medians and the Persians, the Greeks, and then by the time of the New Testament, now it was the Romans' turn to step all over them. 
And ever since then, the Jewish people have been oppressed and depressed. Partly because of their own sinfulness. But also because they are the people of God and the devil doesn't like them. And you talk about anticipating. You talk about hoping. As a matter of fact, a psalmist writing before Christ had a vexing question when Israel was under the foot of yet another world empire. In Psalm 77, in verses 8 and 9, he asked this question. And maybe this has been a question that you've asked when it seems like your expectations aren't realized and your hopes are dashed. He said, has his mercy, God's mercy, ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? And here's a very sad line. Has God forgotten to be gracious. Have you ever felt that way? I imagine at the time of that first Christmas, after they'd experienced oppression, slavery from so many world empires, and now sitting under the Romans, I can imagine the average man or woman in Israel thinking the same thing. Maybe you've asked those questions. Maybe the oppressive things in your life, maybe it's financial worries, job struggles, family issues. Maybe you're struggling health-wise and you wonder, will it ever end? What about God's word? What about God's promises? What about God's truth? What can I expect from God? Well, as we move into the Christmas season, and we're here now, you can sing Christmas songs now. Somebody put on Facebook, when is the right time to sing Christmas songs? We call that an argument starter. <laughs> and normally I don't answer those, but I put in there, anytime you just feel like it. And as Mike pointed out, one of the carols they sang this morning wasn't even intended to be a Christmas song. We're funny people. So as we move into the Christmas season, here's the thing we need to keep in mind. We must remember that we are celebrating the fact that God indeed does keep his promise. See, Christmas in and of itself, we all anticipate all the, all the plans and the, and the hopes for Christmas. But if you look at Christmas in and of itself, the reason we celebrate, all of our anticipation and hope has been met. Because the Jews looked for and longed for that Messiah. He was born in Bethlehem. God kept his promise. Now my tree at home might fall down if a cat gets into it. The ham might get burned up. Susan might not like what I got her for Christmas. And I haven't gotten it yet, but CBS stays open till midnight on Christmas Eve, so I'm good. But people talk about, oh, I hope this happens. But Christmas, listen, it's impossible to ruin Christmas because Christmas has already been completed. Jesus Christ is born. God keeps his promises. And so as we finish this series on expectations, we talked about a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, how sometimes it seems like even God lets us down. Jesus lets us down. And the problem is we have our own view of what God should do and who he should be. We have our own view of what we think Jesus is supposed to do and how he's supposed to react and respond to us. But the problem is we don't have the biblical understanding of Christ and God in Christ. 
We don't have a biblical understanding of the real nature of the world. We don't have a biblical understanding of, of what we can expect uh, of one another, of circumstances, and yes, of God. So this morning, the question that we're going to ask is this, what can we expect from God? Now, we saw when we looked at Job last week, God does not owe us a thing. And you and I don't deserve anything. Good or bad, we don't deserve anything, and God doesn't owe us nothing. Sad part about it is we are such an entitled generation today, all of us. We expect everybody to do everything we want, when we want it, how we want it. We Even God, if God doesn't answer our prayer when we hit that bell to jump, we get upset. People have walked away from God because he hasn't acted the way they expected him to. And the reality is the more entitled we see ourselves, the less blessed we're going to actually experience. So we're going to talk about what actually can we expect from God. Let's get our, let's get our eyes fixated on biblical truth because then I believe if we do that, we will experience the blessing and the joy of the Christmas season. So as we take our Bibles, we're going to go into Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to go to the place in Luke 1, Mary has just been informed by God's angel that she will be carrying his son, the Messiah. You talk about news. I don't know if you've, what news have you ever gotten, big news, exciting news. Can you imagine Mary going to her parents and saying, guess what, mom and dad, I'm going to have a baby. Now, generally, that's good news. Woohoo! We're excited, grandchildren. But Mary wasn't married. And we believe from most historical accounts that Mary was still a relatively young lady. She was betrothed or engaged to just this carpenter, this gentleman named Joseph. But rather than being an announcement of great news and celebration, this was a news of scandal. This was a news of just horrifying uh, situation with her parents. They just, God, no, this is not right. Can you imagine? Imagine what this, uh, this did to this young lady. She was now under such difficulty. And I'm sure, like most places, the news spread. Did you see Mary? She looks like she's expecting. I don't think she's gained any weight. She's not, in, she's not married to that man yet. You know how, you know how news spreads gets excited about the internet. Listen, I've been the pastor of a church for 30 years. Before we had internet, pfft, news got out. And it was probably a struggle. But I want you to notice something of Mary. She knew God had been at work. And while this was going to bring a lot of stress and struggle in her life and in Joseph, instead of complaining and getting upset because, hey, this isn't how my life was to turn out. I wasn't planning on this. I don't want all this stress. No, no. Instead, Mary gives a great praise. It's called, in, in most scholarly places, the Magnificat. This passage of Scripture, this Magnificat, literally means it magnifies God. In chapter 1 of Luke, in verse 46, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Which means my soul makes God even larger in my viewpoint. My soul makes God even larger from my vantage point. More often than not, when God doesn't meet our needs, we want to minimize God. He let me down. He, 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 he didn't do what I wanted him to do. So we tend to walk a little further. But man, Mary had heard just some difficult news and it said, my soul magnifies God. 
And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary is excited. Mary is thrilled. And we're going to see why. And that is because Mary's expectation and hope was not in her circumstances. But her expectations were in God. And the Holy Spirit through Mary is going to teach us what we should expect from God. And I want you to notice, first of all, as we look at this, we can expect God, first of all, as we read this, to regard the lowly. We should expect God and can expect God to, God to regard, have compassion on. We expect that God can see. We should expect that God sees the lowly, the broken, the hurting, the sinful. Many of our cities today have homeless crises going on. And to some extent, to many people, these people are an irritant or difficulty. And yes, it's a difficult situation, but here's the reality. These are still people created in God's image. And God loves them as much as he loves you and I. And God sees them. Even you, maybe you at your job, you think maybe, no, you're not real popular. You're not the, the, the person with the cool crowd at school or at the job. And maybe in your family, people don't pay much attention to you. Maybe you don't feel like you're that important or you're that talented or you're that good looking or whatever. Here's the reality. God sees you. God loves you. Look at what he says. Look what Mary says here. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Mary's not complaining to God. She's rejoicing in God. And she's basically saying, look, he saw me. Now, up until this point, nobody knew nor cared outside maybe her family, a handful of people, who this young child was. In a world of people crawling around, Mary was just another older teenage girl. She didn't come from a very well-to-do family. Neither her mother or father, no one, just regular people, just like you and me. They weren't famous. She didn't have a lot of money. They didn't live in the nicer neighborhood. The house wasn't bigger than most or larger than most. She's just a teenage girl. But God saw her. And for whatever reason, God chose her. For whatever reason, God involved her. Three things we see in this passage. He did see her. So no matter who you think you are or what you think you've done, something you can expect from God is God does see you. Now you not, may not be the sparkling person up front on the stage. You not, your, your, your posts on social media might not get a lot of likes. You might not think anybody notices you or pays attention to you. But listen, God sees you. And God loves you. He saw Mary, this young teenage girl out of millions in this world. God saw her. Not only did God saw her, not only did God see her, rather. I went to school. But God saved her. Notice Mary says, I rejoice in God, my Savior. 
Now, there are supposed Christian belief systems that say Mary was perfect. They teach that Mary herself was virgin born and Mary had not sinned. That's why God chose her to deliver the Messiah. None of that's true. Mary was a sinner just like you and I. Again, she says, God, my Savior. Perfect people don't need saviors. Sinless people don't need saving. Mary was just a regular person, and God, he, she not only, he not only saw her, but he saved her. Mary had placed her faith in the coming Messiah. As the Jews slaughtered lambs and offered their blood on, on the altar, that was a picture of the lamb that would come to be slaughtered on the cross, and his blood would be offered for our salvation. Mary anticipated that. Mary believed that, and God saved her. And again, it goes back to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gives his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever you are, whatever you've done or haven't done, no matter how great you are or no matter how insignificant you think you are, God sees you and God will save you if you turn to him in faith. It's that simple. God saw her. God saved her. And then, wonderfully, God selected Mary. And again, we're not sure exactly the criteria that God used. That's up to him. People sometimes ask me, Pastor, why do you think God chose Mary? Well, here's the thing. God didn't reveal those details to me, so therefore I'm not going to supply, him, supply them for him. Suffice it to say that God chose Mary for whatever reason. He selected her for this grand and wonderful eternal responsibility to carry and bear the Savior. And here's the thing again for you and I. We can expect God to not only see us, and he does. He knows you. He knows more about you than you do. We can also expect God to be willing to save us because he sent his son to die for us. Here's the thing. No matter who you think you are or how significant or insignificant, when Jesus was on the cross, he had you in mind. And he died for you. And he doesn't require religious adherence. He doesn't require moral change. He doesn't require, all he requires is you to admit your sinfulness and fall upon him by faith as, as your Savior. And God saves you. And just like he selected Mary, God selects you for whatever service he has for you. Now, you, you're not going to be bearing the Messiah in the way that she did. But in a real sense, we are to bear the Messiah in the world. She carried the Messiah as his mother. But you and I can carry the Messiah out into the world as we go to our workplaces, as we go to school, as we, as we gather with family this season. We carry the Messiah and take him. And God has commissioned, listen to me, God has commissioned every believer to take the gospel and go all, into, all out into the world to proclaim it. Your task is just as eternal, just as significant, as task given to Mary. So we can expect God, listen, we can expect God to regard the lowly, to love that insignificant person that we feel is insignificant, that homeless person on the street. God loves that person dearly and desperately. Even that, even that Hamas soldier, Hamas is doing horrible, ungodly things. God loves that Hamas terrorist. I know that's hard to hear. Doesn't love what he's doing, of course. But if that Hamas terrorist would turn to Christ and find him as his Savior, God would save him. That's what we need to be praying for, too. 
God sees the lowly. God sees the struggling. You can expect God to see you, whatever you're going through. You may not think anybody notices you. You may not think anybody cares about you. But the God who created the universe sees you and he knows you. He loves you. Not only does he want to save you, but he wants to use you for the salvation of others. So we can expect that God regards the lowly and that he sees us just like he did with Mary because who's Mary? Who's Mary? So we can expect God to regard the lowly. Not only that, but we can expect God, listen, to be merciful to the faithful. We can expect God to be merciful to the faithful. Look what Mary continues to say. Verse 50. She says, and his mercy is on those who fear him. Fear him. Fear literally means a reverent, a reverent fear. Understanding that God is powerful. Understanding that he is majestic. He is Lord. He deserves our respect because he is God. And whatever he wants to do with us, he can do that. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. In other words, God blesses those. God sees those, not only sees them, but he also has mercy on the faithful. Because listen, when we are walking with the Lord, there are times we stumble and fumble, don't we? I don't see any perfect people in here, nor do you see one standing on the stage. God is merciful to, for those who fear him, who are faithful. What does he do? Well, she says in verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and he has sent away and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary, if nothing else, she was a good student of the history of her people. And yes, her people endured century after century after century of oppression, slavery, defeat. But each time when they turned back to the Lord and were faithful, God lifted the bonds of oppression from them. Each one of those nations I mentioned earlier, Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, Persia, Greece, they were all grand and glorious world empires. They were the authority. They were the conquerors. And now they're all either gone or just second-rate, third-world countries. But Israel still exists. It's fighting for its life today. But throughout history, God has been there for them. When Israel turned itself away from God, God brought the oppression. But when Israel turned itself toward God, God brought the deliverance. God shows mercy to the faithful. Did they deserve being delivered? No. Have you read the Old Testament? Have you looked at these people? Yes, they were God's people. They were chosen to bring God's written word, the Bible, God's living word, Jesus into the world. But have you looked at these people? It seemed like every chance they got, they not only turned their back, to, back on God, but they chased after other idols. We talked about this in Sunday school. Even, even, in the, even in the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt, God parted the Red Sea. Cecil B. DeMille tried to get that right. and he still, I don't even think Steven Spielberg could do the effects and match the reality. But even after they saw that, what did they do? They complained, grumbled, and turned their back on God. And God dealt with them. 
But when they turned back to God again, what did he do? He delivered them. You know why? Because God is merciful to the faithful. You can expect God. If you're struggling in your life, if you have turned your back upon God, if you're struggling with sin, listen, we all have a difficulty sometimes. And you think God can't help me. God, I've gone too, too far away. I've done too many bad things. God just can't help me anymore. Listen, let me tell you something. You turn back to God, God's there waiting for you. He's there waiting for you. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. The only thing we do deserve is hell. But through Jesus Christ, he has provided a way for us to enjoy heaven. So God provides mercy to the faithful. And she, and she recounts their, their history. Every time things went wrong, they turned back to God. You know, listen, God raised them up. And all those nations, she, he has protected Israel with his strong arm. He has scattered the proud nations in their imagination of their hearts. They thought they were going to take over the world. Oops, well, it didn't work out. He put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. In other words, Israel is still strong and all these grand empires are gone. And just so you'll know, that's what's going to happen in the Middle East today. Hopefully the Jews will turn back to him. Pray for that. And he has filled the hungry with good things. And he has sent the rich away empty, the prideful. James summed it up this way. In James chapter 6, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 6, he said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. Why does God resist the proud? Because pride is what got us in the mess we're in now. All the junk in the world is because Adam and Eve had too much pride. They were too self-absorbed. Satan, Satan fed them a lie. They ate it, and pff, we're in trouble now. All because of pride, self-absorption, self-soaked personality. And when we're, when we're delving in that, God says, oh, you're on your own. You want to do it by yourself? Go ahead. And then you see what happens. But when we come to the realization and humble ourselves and we say, God, I blew it. God, I'm sorry. He says if we confess our sin, what does it say? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that incredible? Don't you ever just read scripture like that and just say, wow, what a wonderful, loving God. And the Bible says when we turn back to him, he's ready to receive us and he raises us. We can expect God, listen, we can expect God to be merciful to the faithful. God resists the proud, but he says he gives grace, unmerited favor to the humble. See, mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is getting what we don't deserve. We're saved by grace. I don't deserve to go to heaven. Listen, I've been saved for 45 years. I've been in the ministry seeking to serve God. I've been to school. I've, I've, I've done things God wanted me to do. And in all of that, I don't deserve heaven any more than that homeless person we were talking about before. None of us deserve it, but God gives grace. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that when I blow it, I can go to God and say, God, I messed up. I need grace. And he gives it. God resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. Because we can expect God not only to see and regard the lowly, but God also regards and sees and is merciful to the faithful. We can expect that. And then we also finally can expect God to keep his promises. 
And here's the thing. There are hundreds of promises. Bible scholars and scripture uh, students have tried to codify and catalog all the different promises God has given. The number I hear is ranges around 600 to 800 promises God has given in scripture. And we can expect God to keep every single one. Look what Mary says as she focuses again on the history of her people. Verse 54. She said, he has helped his servant Israel. Up until this time, Israel before Mary was born has existed for 2,000 years. From Abraham all the way to Mary. 2,000 years. And all of that time has been cataloged and noted in the Old Testament. And again... Yes, they were God's people, but they didn't always live like they should have as God's people. But she says she has helped. He has helped, rather, his servant Israel. Interesting thing about that word helped. Because in the Greek, a better translation of that word is that he has held his people. Interesting word in the Greek. It literally means he has held them. He has kept them. One of the great apologetics in the world is the existence of the nation of Israel. God told them all the way back in Genesis 12. He said, I will bless them that bless you. I will curse them that curse you. And sure enough, that's exactly how history has recorded it. God told them in Genesis chapter 13, 14 and 15. He said, this land that I'm giving you will be yours forevermore. And they're still there. They're fighting for it now. But if you want to prove the existence of God and the truth of his promises, look to the nation of Israel. They're still there. How many of y'all live next door to a Jebusite? Raise your hand. When was the last time you had coffee with an Amorite? My uncle's an Amorite. No, he's not. Okay. The Babylonians are gone. Egypt is now just it's there, but it's, it's just an average nation. Rome has broken up. Greece is another. It's just not the world power anymore. But Israel is still there. God, not only, he helped them by holding them. And here's the beauty in that. If you're a believer this morning, not only are you saved, but you're safe. Once you receive Christ as your personal savior, you cannot lose your salvation. God gives you everlasting life and God holds you. The book of 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us we get an inheritance kept by God in heaven for us. John 10, 28 says God holds us in his hand. He held, he helped the children of Israel by holding them and keeping them. God has held his people. Not only that, but God has remembered his people. He has held his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. You might have thought God has forgotten you. I don't know what you're going through. You might be going through things that are too difficult for you to share with us. I hope not. You might be struggling with something we cannot even imagine. I hope not. But if you are, here's the thing. We may not know about it, but God knows. and He doesn't forget. You might have served at West Concord at some point or another, and you had to step away for whatever reason. You might have thought, oh, they don't remember anymore. Well, some people may not, but God doesn't forget. Book of Hebrews chapter 6 says, God is not quick to forget our labor of love, wherein we minister and try to minister. God hasn't forgotten you. God's not forgotten what you did. God's not forgotten what you're going through. 
Just like the nation of Israel and all that went on with them, God hasn't forgotten them. He remembered them in his mercy. And it says in verse 55, and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. He keeps his word. God told Abraham 4,000 years ago that he would bless his people, Israel. He would bless them that blessed them. He would curse them that cursed them. And, and from them, a seed would rise and bless the entire world. Well, here's Christmas, and we're about to celebrate that promise. That seed is Jesus. That seed is our Savior. He was born in Bethlehem. Boom, promise kept. He lived a sinless life, died on Mount Calvary, was buried, and as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, rose again, proving all of those scriptures true. Every one of them. Matter of fact, you can go through the Old Testament and on the, on the, on the prophecies, you could build the life of Christ just as it is relayed in the Gospels. And what does that tell me? God keeps his word. You can anticipate, you can expect God to keep his promises. You can expect God not only to keep his promises, but to be mercy, merciful to the faithful and to see the lowly, to regard the lowly. Those are the expectations you can have from God. God's not going to run his train on your track concerning the details of your life. Here's the thing about life. Life is a series of choices, if nothing else. You are what you are today based upon what you chose to be yesterday, three weeks ago, three years ago. Your life is a series of your choices. Choices that you've made or choices that someone else made that you had no control over. You say, what about those? Well, you have a choice in how you respond to react to those things. You can't expect God to do what you can do, nor can you expect God not to do what only he can do. But God keeps his word. You can expect that. You can expect God to receive you back when you come to him. And you can expect God to see you. He knows what you're going through. He loves you. It may not seem like the world loves you, but boy, he loves you and he sees it. You may have put your favorite thing out on Facebook and nobody liked it. It's all right, God saw it. God sees it. You can expect God to be the God of the Bible, the God of truth, compassion, grace, and kindness. So in Psalm 77 earlier, we saw that psalmist. He was grieving. You remember the questions he asked? He was struggling as a Jew waiting for God's deliverance. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know how, how to get there. Again, he said in 77 verses 8 and 9, the vexing questions, has God's mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? But then he reflected on God, who he really is, and what he really is to do. And that vexing question turned into a victorious answer. Just a couple of verses down in Psalm 77, he said this. He said, I will remember the works of the Lord. In other words, I will see God as he really is. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. We often say, God let me down. God didn't do what I wanted. Christmas is going to be bad. Rewind your mind and see how God has blessed you already. Look at all the grand and glorious things God did 
Remember who God really is. He goes on to say, I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. In other words, he's not saying, God, this is what I want you to do. God, this is what I expected you to do. God, I thought you were going to do it. You let me down. No, no. He said, I'm going to go back and reflect on all of God's works and his deeds and tell people about them. I'm going to get a real vision of who God is in Scripture and what I can expect from him. Another psalm said this in Psalm 62. In verse 5, he said, My soul, wait silently for God alone. We're waiting and yearning for that next job, that next paycheck, that big house, that... You know, you fill in blank of what you're expecting will make your life grand and glorious. And the psalmist said this, my soul waits silently for God alone. And notice the next line, for my expectation is from him. So here's the thing about expectations. If you place your expectations in anything but God, you're going to be miserable. And I'll just be honest with you. People are going to let you down. Your husband or your wife, are, they're going to let you down. They don't mean to necessarily, but we're, they're not perfect. They're human. This church is going to let you down. I'm going to let you down. You're going to let me down. Again, it's because we're human. The world is going to let you down. With all its shiny baubles and wonderful things, it's going to let you down because it cannot satisfy you. Because as we said in the beginning, you have a yearning in your heart. You have a longing in your heart. You have an anticipatory spirit, and God placed that there. Why? So you'll reach up to him, and he alone can meet it. He alone can satisfy. He alone should be your expectation. Psalmist goes on to say, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Isn't that a wonderful psalm? This is what Mary was anticipating. And again, Mary's life was changed, man. This young teenage girl, suddenly her whole world was turned upside down. She knew that this was God's plan for her life. She knew what she'd been commissioned and called to do. But everybody around her just thought she had messed up, blown it. Even Joseph, for a time, thought about divorcing her before they ever even got married. But here's the thing. She was satisfied. She was good. Because she saw God for what he really was, remembered his promises, and rejoiced. So let me leave you with this. In everything, we should look to God and trust him. His promises are absolutely sound. And our ex expectation that we will fulfill his word is called, that he will fulfill his word is called faith. That's what faith is. We expect him to do what he said. We can expect God to do exactly what he says he will do. He is faithful. The world's going to let you down. People are going to let you down. Your expectations, your desires, your dreams that are based in the world, you're going to be let down. But according to Scripture, according to Mary's own testimony, when you place your faith, hope, and expectation in God, the God of the Bible, not the God of your creation, you will always be satisfied. And if you put your hope in Him, 
you will never be hopeless. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed as we go to the Lord in response to his word. Again, Christmas time is both a joyous and wonderful time, and Christmas time can also be, for many, a difficult time and a, and a hard time. Because so much expectation is put into the holiday. So much hope is put into the trappings and the plans of the holiday. And sometimes life, unfortunately, gets in the way of the holiday. I know I lost my own father the day after Christmas. Sometimes things don't go the way we want them to do and the way they want, we want them to go. But I'm here to tell you this morning, Christmas, everything that actually the, his, the holiday of Christmas promises has been, has been satisfied. We can celebrate no matter what goes on because God kept, he's, listen, he saw you. No matter who you are, he saw you just like Mary. And when you turn to him, God is faithful to forgive you and show you mercy and grace. He resists the proud, those people who think they're too good for God. No, no, you and I come to him admitting our sinfulness and our brokenness. We humble ourselves. See, God resists the proud, but he gives grace, unmerited favor to the humble. God saved us, and he's mercy, merciful to the faithful. And we can expect God to keep his word to us. And he kept it Christmas. Listen, Christmas is the grand promise fulfillment of human history. No matter what happens on that day or in this holiday, we can still rejoice and celebrate because salvation has been won and God is victorious. So the things that I've learned, and I don't know not you, I hope you have, the things that I've learned is to set my expectations on him and him alone. And only then will I find ultimate satisfaction. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to worship in this place. Father, we thank you that we've heard wonderful music. We're surrounded by beautiful decorations. Father, we gather with our family and friends, people we love. And now, Father, I pray that as wonderful as these things are, we would not put any hope in any of these things. But, Father, we would come to you with humility, shouting our need for you, and we would fall in faith upon you. If we need salvation, I pray that we would abandon our hope to earn heaven and fall upon faith in you as our Savior. And for my brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that we can be faithful to you. And even when we fail, thank you that you will receive us back when we come and show us mercy, not giving us what we really deserve. Father, may all of our expectations be found in you, ground in you, and rooted in you. May we find satisfaction and may you get the glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.